So, hi everybody. This is uh, our our second session um, of Tell Me About Your Tech Job slash Career, and uh, I'm Tom. And uh, Darcy, I told you, I think I mentioned that I'm going to put this out in podcast format too. So that's why I'm kind of hosting and introducing in a manner that's a little different than I normally would for class, uh, because I'm going to become a famous podcaster, or I'm going to fail miserably at figuring out how to do it all and uh, give up and everybody will just have to watch this on D2L. Who knows? We'll find out. Um, but but first of all, thank you for coming. So we have Darcy here. And um, Darcy was a, a student here at iTech um, a while ago. It's been a while. It's been almost a decade. And um, I've had the pleasure of... Um, meeting some really cool people as students throughout the years and Darcy is definitely one of them. Um, I remember having Darcy in class, in fact, in this classroom, uh, you and Leonard and a couple of others, Jared, I think. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was a great year, did some cool stuff with security dogs, but a lot has happened for you since then. And um, I guess before we get into the tech career, Tell us just, I guess, a little bit about yourself. Uh, introduce yourself, where you're from, and what you like to do for fun. And then let's start talking about what happened after school and in school and all that type of good stuff. Okay. Um, so I was born and raised in Danville, Illinois, which is 30 minutes um, east of Champaign-Urbana, if you're familiar. Um, I went to Parkland College there first, got my associate's degree in applied science and network system administration. Um, I was a typical apathetic high schooler. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to either do something in tech or I want to do something in baking, which I'll get to that later. All right. Um, so I got that degree and then I transferred down to SIU in 2010, I believe. And I completed my Bachelor of Science in Information Systems Technologies. It was called IST then. I'm sure the program's changed a lot over the years. Um, and when I went into that program, actually, there were three tracks, I believe. Again, I'm sure it's probably changed, but there was yeah. security network administration, and I believe web design and development. Yep. But I was just very curious about everything, and I kind of just wanted to learn as much as possible. Um, so I kind of just took classes from all over the place. Um, let's see. For fun, I love baking. Baking and cooking is kind of my biggest hobby. I'm also just kind of an artsy, creative person. Um, I like to explore, I like to try new things. Um, traveling is obviously fun too when I'm able. And I also love cats. Okay. <laughs> the crazy cat lady. Um, I only have one cat though, for the record. Well, you've got time. You've got time. <laughs> That's true. So I um, remember, I remember you being, uh, into baking and bringing things. Did you, did you make stuff at the dorms? Is that right? Uh, yeah, I remember. Or well, was it going to Donnie's house maybe and cooking at Donnie's house or? Yeah, I went to friends' places and baked things, but I also actually, um, had bread like yeast dough proofing in my dorm room and then I baked it in one of the ovens on campus actually, because one of the buildings used to be a dorm and they actually had ovens. So that was kind of fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was my, that was my side thing. Didn't know that. Cool. So, so you spent some time here at SIU. Um, you were in the security dogs. Do you have anything you want to talk about that experience? Matt talked a lot about it yesterday. It's, you know, one of our favorite things around here. So if you have anything you want to say or any advice or suggestions about that, or just memories. Um, yeah, it was, it was fun. So I was in security dogs. I don't know if it was for my whole time that I was there because I was actually on campus for about two and a half years. I finished up my last semester from home. Um, and we did get to go to one of the cyber defense competitions. Um, we went to, was it the second round, I believe, was up here um, in Chicago. Yeah. Um, we got to explore DePaul's campus where you went to school at. So yep. That was fun. Um, <laughs> there was, it was an interesting time. It was definitely fun. <laughs> There's a picture of me drinking beer out of a pitcher um, at this bar. So I still have that actually. Copy of that. <laughs> Don, Donnie has uh, shared that with me. And I plan on going there again now that I'm actually in Chicago. Awesome. Um, I don't know about advice. Um, I guess one of the things that benefited me the most while I was an undergrad was getting involved in tech dogs and security dogs, um, actually also getting a job on campus. I was in, I was an undergrad assistant in the kind of, it was like the help desk team for staff and faculty. 
um, actually getting involved in doing some of that work while I was studying was really useful for me. And then my biggest piece of advice after that, we can get more into this later, was I'm sure you guys are still required to get an internship while you're completing your degree, but that was actually one of the most pivotal things that helped me out the most. And that was what I was going to ask next. So so we have changed the program a little bit. We still kind of really, really um, encourage internships, but um, due to the way that we are working towards an accreditation, we also have a senior project now. Um, so senior projects, the main thing, internships, people can still get credit for. We still encourage them. Um, one thing that you did mention though, was student work on campus. And for those of you, um, who are local to Southern Illinois and, and, and you may not know, but, um, SIU has an awesome history of hiring, um, within, you know, student workers to do some pretty cool stuff while on campus, like you mentioned, um, student workers that go to uh, work at either the Office of IT on campus or through some of the other, you know, units, departments, schools, colleges, whatever, and tech roles get to do a tremendous amount of stuff, um, real stuff, you know, real stuff that, that they help learn, learn about from their, their supervisors and cool projects. Right now, the student workers are working on, if I know, if I remember correctly, um, with Anton, um, a uh, project building out infrastructure in the dorms, the the towers um, right now. So a really big project. Um, so anybody who's on campus who might be interested in a student work job, they're out there um, or internships, anything, you guys can always hit me up because I got information about that stuff too. Um, so the internship, I know that you had an internship or two, right? I had two of them. Had, had two of them. So, so an internship, uh, uh, formally for the program, the way the program was structured previously, guys, uh, you had a three credit hour course that was an internship course, a little bit of, you know, work um, doing writing and things like that. But you you were to go out and you were to get, I believe, 239 hours of experience over the course of a semester or two as part of an internship. So a lot of students would do that here on campus. But others went and took opportunities with some of these partner organizations like Boeing and uh, Boeing's internship program. And you were able to do that. So you want to tell us about your first one and then about your second internship? Sure. My first one was actually in Philadelphia. It was pretty random because at that point in time, I had only known Illinois. I'd only driven on two lane highways. So it was sort of terrifying going to the East Coast and living in a city. But it was really it was a really good opportunity. Um, I actually supported the shop floor computers. So in Philly, it's a smaller DOD site. They build um, the Chinooks and the Ospreys military aircraft, if you're not familiar. And this is Boeing we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and I was able to actually, it was more kind of helped us support for their shop floor infrastructure, but it was really interesting because I learned a lot about how Boeing functions. I didn't know anything about military or military aircraft at that point in time. Um, it was also good to kind of see how they support the users on the shop floor. Um, and so that was like three months in summer of 2011, I believe. Um, it was just really good to kind of get your foot in the door at the company. It was really good to learn about how they function, how IT works there, because they have a huge IT organization there, of course. They're a very large company. Um, and actually, I was after I completed that internship, I was actually scheduled to go ahead and start a full-time job once I graduated from college. But I ended up taking a little bit longer getting through undergrad. That's just part of it sometimes, which is fine. Um, so they actually said, well, if you want to, you can do a second internship if you're not able to graduate right now. So I did one more year at SIU and I did a second internship in St. Louis, actually, because I wanted to stay a little bit closer to home at that point in time. Um, that one was more, again, St. Louis is a big Department of Defense DOD site. Um, and I worked in a closed lab. I didn't have a clearance at the time because it's really hard to get insurance security clearances. But it was really interesting to see their closed labs and they use a lot of virtual machines there. Um, I don't remember all the specifics anymore because it's been so long ago, but it was again, it was really good exposure to just see how their IT organization functions and meet different people. And again, that's what ultimately got me my full-time position after I graduated. Um, getting your foot in the door is extremely helpful as an intern. Exactly. And and Boeing is one of the companies that has had a really strong relationship with SIU. Um, we were one of their, I think, five or six like IT focus schools for recruiting. Um, and they come on campus regularly. They have internship and full-time positions. And, and one thing I will say to everybody is, you know, if you are getting, if you're getting an opportunity to be an intern 
at at someplace like Boeing, you know, they're not thinking of you as cheap summer labor. Um, they're thinking of you as somebody they want to probably try out and hope to get you working for them because it's an investment in in a person to pay for you to come up and live in St. Louis and do all the fun things and wine and dine you, so to speak, as an intern. Um, and so they want you. They want you to come and work for them. So, uh, again, like you said, it, getting your foot in the door, but your opportunity to impress them. And, and, and I don't, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people knowing that they've got that job when summer rolls around after they graduate, you know, six, eight months ahead of time, knowing that they've been approved and have that offer can be a real, you know, weight off your shoulders. Um, so that's cool. So you had two experiences at Boeing. Um, you finished up your degree and, and then where, where did you land after that? Um, after that, I started Boeing. They've changed this over the years too, but in 2013, I graduated from SIU and then I moved to St. Louis. I started there. Um, it's a IT career foundational rotation program. So you did three one-year rotations in different areas of IT. And again, that was good for me to figure out what I really like doing because IT is a broad field. Um, there's something for everybody, but I think you just have to figure out what you really want to do. I mean, some people I think know, like I know Anton was, he knew one of the former students, like he knew immediately what he wanted to do and he knew, but for somebody like me, I needed a little bit more time to explore, which I think either path is obviously great. It just depends on who you are. Um, so my first year I was what they call a functional analyst where I supported, um, a group of end users that were in the intellectual property management group. Intellectual property is obviously a very important thing at a company like Boeing. Um, and a lot of these people were like former lawyers. Very, very interesting group of people. I really enjoyed working with them. But we were upgrading their applications. They were on this really old cold fusion platform. We were upgrading them to a Java platform. So I worked with outsourced developers to gather requirements and work with the users to kind of figure out you know, what they needed um, to upgrade the application. And then my second year, I did more kind of IT finance work, which I figured out that I really don't enjoy, but it was still valuable to learn because we all know how IT has to support the business and there are a lot of funding <laughs> constraints. Right. Um, and then my third year, I was sort of what they call a business relationship manager. So at the time we were trying to convince application development teams to use, um, it's called Microsoft Azure DevOps now, but it was TFS, Team Foundation Server at the time to manage their um, software projects. So after that, I graduated from that program and I was I was in a few different roles. Um, I was in some kind of more audit and compliance information security roles. I did some more kind of project management sort of work. And then in uh, summer of 2020, everything was just you know changing with COVID for all of us, of course. And things were changing at Boeing too, unfortunately. There was the 737 MAX crises. Um, that's when I sort of realized I want to do something a little bit different. Um, and so that's when I actually left Boeing. Um, but they were still pivotal to my career and where I'm at now. And it was just those seven years while I was there was really a great opportunity for me to figure out what I really want to do in tech and what I'm really good at and passionate about. And and working for a large organization with a with a big IT presence like like Boeing, um, one of the cool things is you get to learn and experience the way like a, you know, a good IT shop runs, um, which, you know, coming from me personally, from other backgrounds that weren't large established IT, you know, organizations, um, it's smoother a lot of times to, to have that kind of institutional knowledge with the people working at you. And um, it, it ends up taking, I think, giving you a lot to take to your next careers or your next career or, or, or place that you land. Um, so that's, that's cool. And, um, you know, Boeing, you know, with the one thing to mention about the ITCFP, the IT career foundation program, which I still think that they call it that. And, and yeah. I, then they'll probably be here on campus in September, October to talk about that. But, yeah. um, Boeing is kind of cool and unique and, and maybe, uh, not alarming, but, um, you know, they, they will pick an area for you to work in and kind of assign it to you with a little bit of input. Like you get to tell them your, you know, what you'd like to be interested in and what you'd kind of like to do. But, but I know of students who have said, uh, you know, I would never have thought that I'd like programming and then they get stuck in a Java role and it ends up being something that they love. 
Um, but, um, you know, while you're doing the career foundation program, you get to see a couple of different, you know, areas and, and what they're like, and, and it's a good opportunity. And a lot of, a lot of the larger companies that have a big tech, um, presence or a big it infrastructure have these types of career programs or like entry career starting programs and that type of thing to, to learn about. Um, okay. So, so you worked at Boeing. Um, did a lot of different things. Um, 737 happened with the, you know, all the mess that was associated with that. There was a slowdown in the industry and Boeing, I think had, had some layoffs and stuff. Um, what ended up happening uh, for you at that point with your career? So I actually took a voluntary layoff because it was the best way to leave um, in good standing, obviously. And then they gave you a good severance package. Um, I also actually, while I was at Boeing, I had the opportunity to work on my master's degree at Wash U in St. Louis. So I have about half of the master's degree. It was supposed to be in information management with a cybersecurity certificate. Um, but I actually ended up going the user experience or UX product design route. I always knew that I wanted to do that, but there wasn't a formal way to really do it back when I was an undergrad. I hear that you have a UX course at SIU now, by the way, which is awesome. Yep, Jim's doing that, I believe. Um, and I had done a little bit of informal UX work while I was actually on SIU's campus. I worked for the web services uh, student. I was a student worker in that organization for about a semester. And I kind of got exposed to accessibility and information architecture and some of those concepts. But it was sort of more of a nebulous thing back then. Um, there was only like probably a small handful of human computer interaction degrees even in this country at that, you know, 10 years ago. But it's kind of blown up in the past several years in the industry. Um, so there, I actually was supposed to get a UX designer job at Boeing right before I left, but it ended up falling through with some of the funding issues and whatnot. Um, so I left Boeing and then I actually moved to a town outside of Nashville, Tennessee, because that's where my family is. And I decided to pursue a UX boot camp through a company called General Assembly. It was completely virtual, three months, very intense. Um, my goal was to just sort of get a certificate on top of my information systems degree that I already had, because I was just kind of doing more of a pivot, not a total career change. Um, and so I completed that boot camp in the fall of 2020. And then I did some volunteer projects and had to apply for jobs. Um, I did a short-term contract with Del Deloitte actually as a um, kind of a business analyst UX sort of hybrid role. Um, and that was actually for their client was um, the Tennessee, uh, what is it? It was like the state of Tennessee. That's all I can really share because I had to sign an NDA, that kind of stuff. But um, gotcha. then after that, I was just having a really hard time finding a full-time position in Nashville. Nashville is a great city, but I think that their main two industries are really hospitality and healthcare. And a lot of what they're- In country music, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I actually, remote roles are great for a lot of people, but I'm somebody who doesn't do well fully remote. I kind of need that separation between work and home life. So I wanted at least a hybrid role. And they were looking for a lot more senior people as far as UX is concerned. As far as like my tech career is concerned, I'm at a more senior level now. But since I was making a switch, I'm kind of still like at an associate or junior level for a UX or product designer. So I went through that job process. I forgot what that was like because I got so comfortable with being at Boeing and I hadn't had to deal with that, you know, since I was an undergrad. So that was an interesting experience. Right. And finally, um, one of the people that was in my UX cohort, the online cohort actually lives up here in Chicago. And he was posting about openings at a consulting agency that's actually in River North. And I was like, you know what, why not? Um, I always really enjoyed Chicago. I never really saw myself being back in Illinois, but it just seemed like a good opportunity. So I went through the interview process. Um, I actually started the interview process last October and by beginning of November, I was getting ready to move up here. So it happened. <laughs> super fast, very unexpectedly, but sometimes that's the way that life goes. And so now I'm an associate product designer um, at the company was called DevBridge, but my second day there, they actually got acquired by a much larger software development and design company called Cognizant Soft Vision. Okay. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> okay. So, so maybe so I should, <laughs> should have asked this earlier, but tell us what, what UX is in your own words, because it's something that we, you know, it's one of those things that's now like a core competency um, in, in tech education programs, but I think maybe it's kind of like one of these unsung heroes um, that people don't realize what all's involved in it and, and 
how much it impacts what they do daily. So tell us. Um, UX, uh, it's, it's almost as broad in its own little way as just IT or tech is in general. It's kind of its own area, but it's also a multidisciplinary field. It combines tech with design, making things look pretty, um, a lot of psychology, sociology, that sort of stuff. Um, and it's a broad range of things, but it can entail um, doing user research, like studying your end users. Um, it can entail design user interfaces. Um, it's also just gathering requirements, but we tend to do it in a more agile project management way nowadays than kind of the traditional waterfall methods is what I learned in school. Um, so my job basically is to work with developers um, and gather requirements and build better applications. So we're trying to make the user experience better, but it's also about knowing user needs as well as balancing that with the business requirements, which is a lot of what I learned in the IST program actually. So it's kind of just this holistic field and people specialize in different areas, of course. Right now I'm more of a generalist, um, but it's about just making tech better because you know we've been in the information age for a while and it's not gonna go away anytime soon, obviously. Um, and what's really interesting about it is all my past experiences have kind of come together holistically to make me into what I am now. Um, I don't know, it's hard to fully answer that question. I hope that helps a little bit. That, that definitely helps. And, and I think, you know, we've all been to um, a web page or looked at a software application um, where like the button is in just a terribly inconvenient spot. Um, or like me personally, I am colorblind. Um, and so things like colorblindness should be taken into account and sometimes they don't. So yeah. accessibility is a huge part of it as well. Accessibility and making sure that, that um, you know, you can provide what you're, what you're putting out there in terms of a product or service or subscription to the people who need it, regardless of what they might be capable or um, what they might have challenges associated with. Um, do you have any examples of like kind of some of the things that you have done to improve user experience for a project you've worked on? Yeah. Um, well, so one of my, um, it was a volunteer project that I worked on kind of before I was able to get my full-time position, but I worked with, um, the, it was a local Habitat for Humanity chapter when I was in Tennessee at the time. And I was kind of working on website improvements for them. Um, so their website, a lot of those, a lot of charities actually kind of organizations don't have the best websites because they don't have the money to pay for that sort of thing. Um, and actually this is true of a lot of just past design software and websites, et cetera. I think in the past, it was more like you just build this and that's it. There wasn't as much thought going into, you know, the end user um, and that whole experience. Uh, it just sort of happens in a more isolated environment. Um, so, you know, a lot of it's like improving the navigation, which is part of information architecture. Um, it's also kind of thinking about the actual people that use it, kind of dividing it up into personas. So like for the Habitat for Humanity site, you either have usually volunteers or you have sponsors or you have um, potential homeowners who are trying to figure out, you know, can I, am I eligible to get a home through Habitat? And so you have to consider that sort of demographic, which that's something you have to kind of get, be careful with, obviously, because you don't want to stereotype or generalize. But if you think about somebody who's looking for a home through Habitat, they often have like cell phones, but they don't have laptops, for example, kind of knowing um, about the user and kind of what they go through on a day-to-day -day basis is really important. And so we wanted to sort of improve that experience for them, make it easy to understand even just some of the content writing, actually UX writing is kind of its own separate thing, making the, sure that the content on the website makes sense and it's easy for people to understand. So we kind of just did like an overhaul of their design. We also pulled from, uh, so Habitat has its like own international branding with colors and fonts and kind of rules along those sort of lines for the user interface. So we pulled a lot of that into for consistency. Um, since then, I'm, I'm working at a consulting company now, like I said, um, so we actually work with larger organizations like the Boeings and places like that, where they have a UX group a lot of the times, but they don't necessarily have the skill set or um, the time to actually do it in-house, or they need the expertise of other people to help them out with things. So some of the projects that I've been on, um, my team's portfolio is focused a lot on the financial industry. So kind of improving that experience, that's been really interesting to learn. 
Um, and then the project that I just finished up was for um, a car dealership industry. It's learning about improving kind of the appointment booking experience for um, people, service advisors at car dealerships. So actually what's really cool about UX is you get all this peripheral knowledge about other industries. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a, in a nutshell. Um, in this case, actually for the, um, the projects that I've worked on at work here, it's been mostly corporate, like internal software, specific people. Before I was kind of doing more just like general website work. Okay. Um, that, that peripheral knowledge I think is really interesting. Um, so you get to learn a little bit about these different industries that you, you do projects for. And, and I often say this to my, my students is, you know, if you get a job working in a, a contracting or a consulting, um, firm, that's, that's also sometimes one of the benefits is that you go to different clients. And so you may learn about medical software and then next one, you may be, you know, building wireless for a, a, a warehouse or something like that. And so you do get to pick up on a kind of jack of all trades type of thing. Um, couple of things you, you hit on. And I think, you know, us as faculty always complain about this, but, you know, writing, um, and, and you have been somebody I've, I've remember always was very good at, at written communication, you know, with the stuff that you'd turn in was written nicely. And, and unfortunately, you know, that's something that's lost, um, at times. And, and I'm thinking specifically about my 15 year old son who was asked just to write a nice letter to his mother on a birthday card on Monday. And he wrote like, you know, 12 words with no pair, no, no spelling, uh, no, no punctuation, uh, you know, nothing. Um, and, and the written communication can be what will land you a job or not in a lot of cases, even if it's not something specifically dealing with, you know, like user experience or tech documentation. Um, it's something that is, is important. Um, let's see what else. Uh, so you were working on, you said a lot of internal, software application user experiences for your clients so your clients have some sort of like an intranet or a, a web-based application that they have maybe do they do they usually build sort of the tech you know the 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 code the front end the back end and then you come in and help um after the fact with with the 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 experience and the design or the um, the GUI, or do you get involved from the ground up when they're putting together what software language we're going to use and what technology is going to do the database and all that type of stuff? It depends. Um, so mostly we do web-based applications. Um, in the case of one of the projects I was on, we it had already been built internally, um, but they were needing a lot of improvements on it. So we kind of had to work within those constraints. Um, in the case of another one, we actually have, so all of our developers and business analysts are in Lithuania, actually. They're either in a, or a, a city called Vilnius or Konis. Um, so they're usually the ones that kind of decide what the tech stack's going to look like, what the overall system, everything's going to look like, the, just sort of the infrastructure diagram. Um, so yeah, it just depends. Sometimes they'll have it like built out. Sometimes they have to kind of do their own research. And then usually from there, say that they already they already have it in place and it's just us kind of like gathering improvements and then we have the designs and we have the kind of the requirements built out um, and then the developers will take it and implement it and then they have like a testing group a separate QA group that actually does the UAT user acceptance testing sort of stuff and then we keep iterating on it from there since we follow the agile principles um, but then in the case of like a brand new project where it's something that we're just building from scratch. Um, we do what's called like a discovery phase. We do a lot of research to kind of figure out make, making sure that we're building the right products. So we work with end users. We look at competitors, software to kind of see what else is out there and what other people are doing. Um, and then we start building out requirements from there. We have a product manager that sits, some of them are in Chicago, some of them are in other offices. Um, and they're the ones that sort of manage the project and the requirements and sort of piece everything together and kind of prioritize what we're going to do for the designs that helps. Yeah, that does. And, and so I imagine, um, 
someone like yourself who maybe has spent some time in, in, in a couple of different IT capacities before coming into the user experience field is probably extra valuable because you've, you've been a user um, in, in like Boeing at these internal sites and the corporate um, tools that are being built. And so you may have a leg up on somebody who is just user design it's focused and hasn't had the opportunity to, to live maybe and feel some of the pains of bad design um, through, you know, throughout what you've, you've done working. Um, with the, the user design, and that's, I want to go back to this, the, the Habitat for Humanity example. Um, you know, you are as a, you're, you're kind of an advocate for the, the customers, even though you've never met them and you may be, you know, maybe they, they, they may be complete opposite from you. Um, and so is there some sort of, is there like a level of you know, empathy that's required for you to do your job, or does that help you? Um, how do you kind of connect with the user that you're building and, and designing for when you've never met them and, and maybe um, you know, are, are removed from, from who and where they are? That's definitely a challenge when you, because a lot of times the reality is in a perfect world, like, yeah, you'd have actual access to real users, but that's often not the case. It's just difficult to recruit people. Um, you can offer incentives sometimes, but it, it just depends. And the other issue is with in a case like Habitat, some of those people are in more vulnerable populations. So there's a lot of ethics that goes into that as well. So even actually like the ethics courses that I took at SIU are still applicable to this day. <laughs> Bell's ethics course, um, right. for example. Um, empathy is huge, actually. That's one of the things that they preach all the time in UX courses. It's something that I might not have learned in that program, but I had to kind of like learn it over the years. I think it's something you just have to kind of learn as you evolve as a human, but it's absolutely crucial that you have empathy, not only even for the end users, but also the developers, the people on your team, because they work on cross-functional teams nowadays. That's just the way that it is. So understanding how developers think and work, understanding the tech constraints, you know, sometimes you could create a design, but they'll be like, no, that doesn't work in JavaScript or whatever. Um, and then also understanding your product managers, your stakeholders, it's empathy for everybody involved because there's so many different types of people that you have to work with, but that's also what makes it really fun and interesting. Um, as far as kind of connecting people you've never met, you can do research to kind of like gather certain data on things and you also have to kind of put yourself in their shoes. Again, in a perfect world, I would be able to just talk to people, but it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes when you're working with stakeholders, they can speak on behalf of the user, kind of like a proxy situation is okay. often good. A lot of times organizations have already done research and have data on their clients and users. So that's also another thing that you have to kind of do. And then finally, after that, a big part of UX is actually conducting usability testing. So we build prototypes and we actually have them run through different tasks and scenarios in the application to see how they react to it basically and then sort of gathering that data and you know, making improvements based off of that. So those are just some examples of what you can do. So by, by having, having your, your testers, um, they go through like a, an interface that you've designed for an application and they're testing it for both, you know, does this work properly or is that a separate part from just you know, does it flow and is it efficient and is it intuitive? Is is the design testing separate from like, hey, click this button 72 times and if it, you know, airs out on the 73rd, we need to know, you know, those types of technical software type bugs. Is it both or? or? Um, they're usually kind of separate. So okay. usually testing starts out on the prototype level. Kind of the point of like Agile nowadays is that you, your, and UX is actually part of the value of UX is you build a prototype first, you have users do their testing, you work out any kinks from that, and then you start putting it into requirements for the developers to start building. The idea is that it's cheaper and easier and faster actually to build a quick prototype. It's not gonna be totally functional, obviously, like you can't input text in a prototype. You just have to kind of like have some things pre-filled in. Um, but it's kind of just to see how the user reacts, um, if a certain flow makes sense, if it's intuitive, like you said. And then after that, when things are actually put into the development phase, they have user acceptance testing where, you know, a tester will actually make sure that the, the software itself isn't buggy. Or like if you click on a button, it doesn't just blow everything up, that kind of stuff. So there's kind of multiple rounds that you go through there and different sort of uh, 
outcomes that you're looking for with the different testing. Um, question I have is like, what are some of the, the hot technologies that are being used to develop apps now? Are there specific new, new languages? It's still lots of Java. What are, what are you seeing out there from the people who are doing the dev and then also like the tools that you use? Um, so since we do mostly web-based applications, I'm seeing a lot of React JS, JavaScript, I think is what it is. I'm, I haven't taken development classes in a while, so I'm a little bit further removed from that nowadays. Um, what else? They still use obviously HTML and CSS in certain cases for some of the front end stuff. Um, I'm actually drawing a blank at some other ones. I have to go look at some of our infrastructure stuff. So I'm sorry, I don't have a good answer for that. For our tools, we use um, the big prototyping and just building wireframes and mockups and things like that. We use uh, a program called Figma. It's super popular now. Sketch was a previous one. And then there's um, in the Adobe Creative Cloud Suite, there is um, Adobe XD. That's not one of our favorites. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we also use, um, there's a program called Miro, a web-based application where you do a lot of sticky notes. Like we're very big into sticky notes in the UX world. We love Post-its. Um, what else? We use Jira as our kind of agile software management tool. Some places still use the Microsoft Azure DevOps version. We use SharePoint. Um, it's They call it OneDrive now, I guess. And then um, Confluence is another one. It's one of the Atlas Atlassian products like Jira. So those are some of the biggest tools that we use. Awesome. Um, tell us like, what is the average day for you like with your, or maybe the average week if you're hybrid, um, remote versus in-person? Um, it also depends. <laughs> so right now I'm supposed to be in the office three days a week and at home twice a week. That's kind of the general rule, but with COVID that's sort of changed everything. Um, so I have a lot of meetings actually being in, in tech in general, you'd be surprised by how many meetings you have to <laughs> sit through. Um, but you know, it's because there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of discussion. You have to make sure that you're aligned on different things. So I have kind of internal meetings with, um, my senior designer that I work with. And then we have standups, there's an agile term daily standups with, um, the developers. Uh, we also have meetings with the clients themselves. And then I spend certain times working on individual tasks. So I might work on doing a user interface design or like working on some research or sort of just summarizing my findings. Actually, this is big, even at Boeing, but also in a client facing kind of consulting environment. I do have a lot of PowerPoints and like presentation skills are huge. Um, and just building good slide decks is also really important. It's, it's sort of a pain. It's just one of those things a lot of people don't necessarily enjoy, but it's part of it. <laughs> Um, so I've had to like present my findings, you know, to kind of knowing your audience to higher level stakeholders. Um, that's hard for me sometimes because I think a lot of us in tech love getting in the weeds in things and getting in the details. Um, but then kind of like disseminating that information to different audiences is a big part of my, my day. And I do the same thing at Boeing too. So I think it's sort of regardless of where you're at, being able to present technical information to people that might not necessarily be as technical. It's huge, just as sort of a side note. That is uh, that is an awesome thing to share. And it's something I think about a lot, you know, being able to, and I think, I think this kind of separates out a, an IT person, um, you know, those who can take the computer speak and make it so the user they're talking with understands and relates to it is tremendously important. And that's probably why you were put on those functional and business analyst type roles because you could do that well. It's hard though. It's something that I had to learn. I think you can learn it over time, but it's not something that necessarily came naturally to me because I've always been a very introverted person. I think a lot of people in tech tend to fall on the more introverted end of the spectrum. Okay. Um, but I think it's a skill that can be learned just like anything else over time. And it is super important. Awesome. Yeah. And I guess that probably helps the people who end up moving up into management, you know, if that's somebody who's super technical, who, who learns that, that, you know, and it involves a degree of empathy as well. And, and, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of that, that user who, you know, you see them clicking on something a million times and it's just the wrong thing. Um, but they don't have that, you know, that, that knowledge of, of what they're supposed to do necessarily. And so you got to, you know, 
help them along as best as you can. And, and so I guess that kind of translates into you doing that proactively um, in the user design, helping these users along um, before they have even the chance to, to, to touch the software you're working on. Um, is there anything about mobile that is maybe different or unique with the user design space and what you do? Yeah, um, so nowadays we tend to design mobile first and responsive design is huge, you know, taking a design from being on a desktop or a laptop to tablet to mobile. Um, it needs to be able to just screen sizes and things like that is important to keep in mind. The other thing with mobile is the way that you present content can be different. Um, sometimes the way something is organized on a desktop screen is not going to necessarily be the same. Um, one of the things we like to keep in mind with mobile, like on a phone, is like touch points, you know, there's like certain rules for sizes of things, like where my thumb's gonna touch. Um, what else? Certain things, certain features, or I guess interactions is the right word, interactions on a desktop environment. Like in a desktop environment, I can hover over something and get a tool tip, you know, with my cursor. Um, on a mobile app, you can't do that. So like, you have to do a lot of tapping. Some of the interactions tend to be different as well. Um, but the Kind of the general rule nowadays is that you design mobile first since a lot of people do use mobile you kind of have to consider all the different avenues it's gotten way more complex i think over the years as technologies evolved that's that brings me to something i experienced just this week i had to fill out some sort of form and on the mobile because it was sent to me via text so if it's sent to me via text it's obviously right there in your phone and the mobile gives you the click here and then use your mouse to you know write a signature out or use your finger to write a signature out and on the mobile it just would not appear so i was stuck for two or three days not being able to to sign this document for this company because i just kept forgetting to transfer that link over to the computer as soon as it goes to the computer you can sign away and it, everything works perfect but they they missed that user design experience person, uh, you know, suggestions. They needed you to be hired for that application. Um, and they, it, it fell short in that case. Um, let's see, we're getting close. Um, anything else? And I, I want to give you a chance to talk about, I know you're really into baking and I saw your uh, your, your, your pictures and stuff, if you want to talk about that, but if there's something else, um, related to work or technology or advice, um, something that you want to share that we haven't covered yet? Hmm. Let me think. Um, I kind of already touched on this, but I think my biggest piece of advice is explore while you're in school, do as much as you can with internships, volunteer work, um, working on campus. If you have the time, I know everybody has different situations. Um, but trying to get as much of that in as you can. And then if you're not really sure what direction you want to go in, I think just being open and trying different things out and then just kind of making a note, like even keeping a journal of like what really interests you, what kind of areas, you know, are you really passionate about? What do you feel like your natural talents are and kind of leaning into that? Because um, there really is a place for everyone in tech. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of it. And I've, I think the fact that I've been able to <clears throat> explore over the years has been really cool. It's been cool to see where I started. You know, I started out in network administration, which I couldn't tell you how to like do any kind of Cisco commands anymore, but I still have some <laughs> Linux commands. Um, um, but that experience, you know, it's kind of what shaped me into who I am now. Like I have that more holistic approach. And actually when our product manager brings up infrastructure diagrams, I get kind of excited. The other designers are kind of just low kids where I can like space out. <laughs> but it's all kind of tied together over the years. And so even if you try one area and you're like, okay, this is not working for me, I would say just keep exploring. and seeing what you are open to. Um, it's also really important. The nice thing about Boeing was they kind of let you explore, but you still have to be very proactive about your own career. Unfortunately, nobody else is gonna put you in the direction you know, for you. I actually knew like 10 years ago that I wanted to do UX work. I just didn't know how, and I was kind of directionless for a while. I kind of just floated through and you know, became complacent. And I'm not saying, I don't have any regrets because I think that where I was before led me into the the right place at the right time, so to speak, even if that sounds cheesy. Not at all. <laughs> um, but, you know, I had to push myself in that my own direction there. Like, I was very fortunate to have a lot of mentors over the years. Obviously, Tom, you wrote so many scholarship recommendation letters for me. <laughs> I remember. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I was very fortunate to have people like Tom and Bell. I think also 
along those lines, if you have mentorship opportunities, definitely lean into those, especially if you're a woman or a minority in this field. It's, um, I think, equally, especially important there because um, I wouldn't be where I'm at now without those mentors. But again, just sort of advocating for yourself is very important to get to where you want to be. Um, that's about all I have for as far as tech is concerned. <laughs> so do you want to tell us about that second passion? <laughs> yeah, um, baking is always been one of my biggest hobbies. The reason why I chose tech over baking is, quite frankly, I wanted more money and I wanted to work in a cushy office environment and not be in a hot kitchen. Um, I still do some baking on the side. And obviously I have the utmost respect for people who are pastry chefs and work in kitchens and whatnot. But um, for me, it's a sort of a side passion. And actually baking is very related to UX because it's like an art and a science. There's a lot of technical aspects to it, but it's also a way for me to be creative because I've always been I know not everybody in tech is necessarily like this, but I've always been the artsy fartsy type. So it's been kind of nice to have that as my creative outlet. So if you have creative endeavors too, I would say it's still important to pursue your hobbies on the side because that makes you a more holistic, you know, individual and makes you better at your actual career. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't want to gush about baking too much, but <laughs> just fun. It's like the experimentation part is fun. Um, I also love sugar. You also love sugar. Yes. Okay. You know, I'll admit that over the last, I don't know, six to 12 months, I have been eating more desserts than I have in the last 10 years together. And I'm not sure why that is, but we went to Disneyland and, you know, you're paying like $9 for an ice cream, you know, cone. And I probably had 12 of them. It was ridiculous. Um, but but anyway, I, I see saw some of those pictures that you posted, and and on her page in class, guys, it's got a link to her baking uh, baking site. Um, take a look. And, uh, My baking site needs some UX work. I haven't touched that WordPress blog in so long. Maybe well, go to my Instagram page. <laughs> which page? My Instagram page is just Darcy's Baking Projects. Okay. Um, is that? Yeah, I think you gave me that link too, so that'll be up there too. Yeah, my, my baking site is probably pretty out of date at this point. I need to do some work, so don't judge me too hard on that one. <laughs> okay, everybody give her a break. Use, use some of your empathy. All right, um, any questions from anybody out there? Any of our students, we've got, uh, we had about nine. Um, anybody have any questions for Darcy before we have, I've got five questions to wrap up for you. You, do you, ever, you, you used to listen to Paul.com and Security Weekly. Do you ever listen to those podcasts with I haven't anymore. The last podcast that was tech related, I listened to a UX one every now and then. And then I was listening to one about APIs for a while there because I was trying to understand them better. APIs are also a huge part of UX. Um, not necessarily my work, but like working with developers and the product managers um, is uh, it's important to kind of at least have a basic understanding of UI or APIs. So that's, <laughs> that's a, really, yeah. That's a good point. That's something I wouldn't have thought about. Um, questions, everybody? Anybody? Anything to ask Darcy? All right. Well, I have my five questions for you then uh, off the cuff. I got to find them because I don't have them memorized yet. Um, let's see. Number. What is your, and maybe you answered this. What's your favorite type of food or restaurant? Anything of that nature? Um, it's hard for me to answer because I love pretty much any cuisine, but I would have to say probably Mediterranean or Middle Eastern. Those kind of cuisines are my absolute favorite that I never get sick of, but I'll eat almost anything, honestly. Okay. Um, let's see. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, movie, TV show, anything that kind of has a, you know, a, a basis on technology or oh, weaves that as a theme? That's a good question. Um, for books, I mostly have a lot of UX-related books nowadays. Um, if anybody wants to read about UX books, I can send a huge list over if you're curious. Um, I don't have one off the top of my head. I'd have to go look at my bookshelf. Um, TV shows, I'm trying to think of ones that I was more into that were more tech-related. There was one on Amazon. I'm not saying it was one of my favorites, but it was interesting. It's called Upload, I think, where you like upload part of your consciousness after you die or whatever, and you can still interact with kind of the um, AI version of you people that are still alive. I don't know if anybody's seen that, but that was really interesting. It, it actually brought up a lot of like ethical and privacy related questions for me. Um, so that one made me think. Um, 
trying to think. Oh, Severance was also a really interesting one. It's not so much tech, but it's like working in cubicles and it is also very about ethics um, and like separating your work environment from your home environment. That one's, it's definitely dark, but it's, it's fascinating. Okay. You said it was Severance? Yeah, it's on Apple TV. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm making notes of these. Um, is there an, is there a technology or a skill or something that you kind of have on your radar to, to look into or to learn about in the future? Yeah. Um, so I would say it's, I'm still learning the Figma tool that I was talking about with user interface design. Um, I can like create things from scratch, but there's a lot of automation that's going into it nowadays, sort of making it easier to duplicate user interface designs and whatnot. So that's something that I've been working on for self-development. Um, what else? I was trying to get more efficient with it really, like trying to make my processes and the way that I work a little bit faster and more efficient is my biggest thing that I've been doing lately. Um, trying to do any other things off the top of my head. I'm also actually working on facilitation skills as well, because that's a big part of being a consultant, especially as you level up um, as a senior, uh, facilitating meetings, facilitating workshops, that sort of thing is, is, it does not come naturally to me at all. It's really hard. It takes a lot of energy. So it's a side thing that's definitely useful in tech and especially as you get into corporate environments. Cool. Um, if you had the opportunity and money and it was no object and you could retire and do something completely different today, what would you want to do? I would open a bakery. Open a bakery. <laughs> Probably a given. Um, I don't necessarily know where I'd live. I always really like the Pacific Northwest, but cost of living is just insane out there. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. All right. And then lastly, any parting words of advice for somebody finishing up their schooling, getting ready to go out and enter the career, uh, the tech career field? Uh, I think I already sort of touched on it, but I think just being open to learning because it's starting out your career is always hard, especially if you're even changing careers or whatever level or age you're at, it doesn't really matter. It's always it's challenging, but I think also just cutting yourself some slack and giving yourself some empathy is hugely important because there's so much learning that takes place then. I know like when I left SIU, my confidence levels are probably complete garbage, um, but just seeing how I've grown over the years has been really interesting for me. Um, I've come a long way since I was a very shy student in your, your classes, um, but just having a little bit of faith in yourself and knowing that whatever you're doing, like you went into this field for a reason, um, you're obviously great at something within the field and you're passionate about something within it and just kind of keeping that in the forefront of your mind when things are challenging because no matter what field you're in, there's going to be times where it's just not great. There's ups and downs just like every other aspect of life. Um, yeah. Fantastic. I like that. That's a great parting words. And with that, I would like to say thank you. I'm going to stop the recording.